No. Oh, there it is. There we go. Okay. Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to First EC. Glad to see you're all here. Glad to have those that are on Zoom joining with us as well. I'm going to go down through a couple of announcements. As you can see, I hope you've looked at your bulletin. hope you paid attention to some of the slides that were up there. We've got quite a few things coming up. Um, one of the things that I definitely want to mention is that on December 11th, we're having our annual congregational meeting. So we need need to let you know that, and we're hoping that you'll be here to be a part of that. I also know that part of that involves um, voting on some council members and so forth. We have a, a few boxes that I don't have any names uh, beside yet. So what I want to do is ask you, I'm not going to ask you to volunteer for, or, or to, to tell me which, which box. I'm not going to tell you which boxes I have available, things like that. But I would like you to have a conversation with the Lord this week. And if you feel like you would like to be a part of helping to navigate this church into the future, would you talk to me? I just, just let's talk. Let's talk about what your talents, your, your gifts and so forth are. And let's see if maybe you fit into one of those empty, empty slots. Um, if, so, like I said, if you feel a nudge, you feel like you want to help, help out the church uh, moving into the future, let's talk. Um, also, I understand that it's kind of a tradition. This week we will not be having coffee shop theology on Wednesday morning. We will not be having prayer meeting. It sounds like people are, I don't know, they're planning some baking for some reason. I don't know. So it sounds like there's a lot of prep work. And so we're getting ready for Thursday. So no prayer meeting on Wednesday night. No coffee shop theology Wednesday morning. Um, I guess that's everything that I had in here. Anything else that we need to make, make an, oh, well, this Saturday, this Saturday we will be um, decorating the church. Love to have you come out. Many hands make light work. And what do you have? Oh. Okay. I have to call them in on Monday. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> poinsettias. She's telling us the poinsettias. The envelopes are in the back, back basket. If you're planning to, to purchase poinsettias to be placed up here in honor of someone or in memory of someone, take an envelope, make sure they get back by next Sunday. Thank you. Anything else for the good of the, good of the family here? Okay, well then let's, let's pray and prepare ourselves for, for worship here this morning. Good morning, Heavenly Father. What a beautiful day you've given us. It's a little cold, but thank you for giving us all these different seasons. We Appreciate the opportunity to live in a place where we can see all of your artistry, all of your creativity. Father, we're here to praise your name this morning. And so I, I pray, Lord, that everything that we sing, say, and do would be to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship this morning, I'm reading from Psalm 105. It says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. I want you to think about what kinds of things he has done for you this week. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. So as you're thinking about that, I want you to stand. Let's stand and sing with the praise band as we think about all the wonderful things God has done for us this week.
helps if I have my microphone on. Let's start that over again. I, I did not have my microphone on, so. It sounded good otherwise. All right. Awesome power of God, our 
God And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against What could stand
Take a minute to greet your neighbor. encourage you to, to find your seats. So now I will put you on the spot. I um, asked you during the call to worship to think about it. I wasn't going to ask you to say them out loud, but think about how the, the Lord has uh, blessed you all week. We come to the time now where we lift our praises and our prayer requests. So anybody Want to share either? Do you have any praises, any prayer requests you want to share? Hi. Um, I'd like to keep my wife, Joyce, in uh, prayer. She's still having trouble with her AFib. And uh, my daughter-in-law, Teresa, uh, she fell the other day and uh, knocked her knee out of joint, so she's walking on one leg for the time being until she gets the orthopedist. Mm. So, uh, you know, rough times with her. So Okay. Please keep my mom, Thelma, in prayer. She's very sick with a cold, possibly bronchitis. Of course, I'm concerned about it moving into pneumonia. And my sister was taken to the ER this morning, Crystal, because she heard something pop in her hip, and now she can't walk. So they're taking her to the ER. Good. So, go ahead. Yep. I have a praise. I'd like to thank Pastor Jeff and Gloria for um, donating some of the extra um, Operation Christmas Child boxes to our Christian Nursing Fellowship at Messiah. They filled those boxes. They filled like almost 20, as a matter of fact, <laughs> to kind of team up with us and you know, really make a big difference in the yeah. lives of children. So. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I have a praise. I took the children up to camp yesterday, all three of them, and we had a, a blast up there. Just praises oh. that we had a good time. Yeah, okay, thank you. And then Amy? One praise. Um, first of all, someone that's back at the soundboard had a birthday yesterday, oh. so we're thankful <laughs> for another year, and yeah, it's not Jeff. Not Jeff. <laughs> not Jeff. So. <laughs> Okay. So, and second of all, um, from Zoom, he has a prayer request. He said, Jim says he lost water on Friday and is still without water, still waiting to get it back. Oh. Okay. Any other? Yeah. 
Yes, I have one. I have a, a second cousin of mine, uh, and uh, his name's uh, Ryder. Um, he's found out last evening that they had him, had him in the hospital and uh, needed an, uh, an appendectomy. So, uh, so just prayers for him. Okay. Yesterday, I took the two older boys to Southern Lancaster County to an Amish farm where they were taught to churn butter, press apple cider, and bake bread, and then we ate together, and there were about, I don't know, somewhere like about 15 people there. There were people there from Maryland visiting, and there were people from New York State. And the farmer who hosted us shared a little bit about the Amish beliefs, and then he said that's a lifestyle, but what's really important is having Jesus in your heart. And he gave a testimony, and then um, when it was time to pray, one of the guests, the guy from Maryland, he offered to pray, and he had a dynamic prayer. And it was, a, it was just a really special time because I felt like everybody in the room felt God's presence there. Yeah, and so many different denominations or, or faiths, yeah. Anything else? Yes. Okay, so my brother Ian, which some of us know, he is in Cub Scouts, and he earned his Bobcat badge a few days ago. So I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to just say that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Anything else? And I know there's. There's so much on our heart, I know. But okay, well let, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and lift these to the Lord. Well, Father, um, I know you heard them all. I don't need to repeat them, Father. We do know that you're you're very aware of of all these things that have been lifted up. Um, we thank you for all these opportunities for praise. Um, we also ask for your your comfort, your peace where needed, your strength where needed, your healing where needed. Father, I just thank you that you are so involved in each one of our lives and that you care for us and that you are going to be providing your healing touch, your comforting arms, your, your strength, because you love us and we thank you for that. We thank you for just being you. And Father, we thank you for the way you provide for us each week and each Sunday when we get together, we give back a little as our token of thanks, as our token of appreciation, as a token of worship, Father. And so I pray that this offering that we gathered here this morning would receive your blessing and that you would use it to further your kingdom and to further your church. And we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand now and let's sing together hymn number 543.
also want to take, the, take a moment to invite you, make sure you remember that we do have um, Bible study on Sunday nights, be here at 7 o'clock. Anybody who's been coming, um, did you recognize the word tares in here? We just, got to, we just talked about tares last week and explained it a lot more, had pictures and so forth, so a lot of, a lot of benefit to being here on Sunday nights. Well, today you get a break from me, hold the applause. Um, we have a, a, a guest preacher here this morning. This gentleman has um, been a pastor at several different churches, EC churches. He's probably preached at most, if not all of them, at this point. For a while, he was the director of, of global missions and is currently uh, the bishop of our, of our denomination. So it's my privilege to turn over the pulpit to Bishop Randy Sizemore. <clears throat> Good morning. I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to apologize at the beginning for my voice. <clears throat> I read on my, uh, my little weather app thing today that it's not a bad allergy day, but for some reason my, my life and the weather app doesn't connect, so I don't know. It is uh, for me. So it's good to be with you today, and thanks for the inv- invitation to come and, and worship together. I know you got a good pastor. You might not know this, but Pastor Jeff was the pastor of my mother and father-in-law. And now since she's in heaven, I can say this safely. If you pastor my mother-in-law, you deserve, you deserve. <laughs> now, we, lo- we, we did love her, but uh, so thankful for Pastor Jeff and Vicki and their leadership here and uh, the leadership here, you know, at First Church. Thank you for knowing Christ and, uh, and making him known. Uh, today I want to talk to you a little bit about what God has been talking to me about as the bishop of the Evangelical Congregational Church. So if you do have a, a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Sorry. Do I need to give you a warning when I'm going to cough? You can mute me. I just... Sorry. Yeah. So when you get to Acts chapter 1, uh, look up at me and smile. Then I want to tell you a story. Then we'll read the scripture. So you there? All right, so have you heard the story about the, <clears throat> the balloon and the boy and the basket and the brave woman? Have you, have you heard that story? Would you like to hear that story? <laughs> I'm glad you said yes, because I was going to tell you anyway. So, so here's the story, and, and I don't know if it's a true story. The story goes like this. So there's a woman who goes to a county fair, and at the fair... She happens to see a hot air balloon that's been tethered to the ground, and of course it it attracts her attention. It's big, it's bright, it's colorful, and she's kind of looking at this balloon, and as she's looking at this balloon, she sees a young boy, unattended, walking toward the balloon. Now, immediately, it gets her attention, because she's a mom. She's like, wow, that boy is walking toward that balloon, And, and of course, he makes a beeline for this big, bright balloon, and as he gets there, he begins to climb into the basket. Well, now this woman is looking around. She doesn't see anybody there at the balloon. So now her mom instincts kick in. She starts running toward the balloon. And to her horror, as she gets closer to the balloon, the boy accidentally untethers the rope that holds the balloon down. And he, and he begins to rise. So she runs and just in time grabs the rope, thinking that her weight would hold the balloon down. Well, of course it doesn't. 
So as her feet are leaving the ground, she begins to do what we all do when we're in those situations. She begins to take stock of what's going on and what is the best choice for her. So as her feet's leaving the ground, she's thinking to herself, oh my word, what do I do? If I let go of the rope, I sacrifice this poor boy's life to who knows what. If I hang on to the rope, I already know I'm not heavy enough to stop this balloon. So should I just hang on and hope against hope that something good would happen? You know what the word for that is? It's called a conundrum, right? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you have two options and neither one of them are very good? Well, let me um, introduce you to a few other guys who have that same thing. So in your Bible, Acts chapter 1, we're going to read the first 12 verses here together. Luke is writing Acts 1. This is Luke's second writing. It actually could be Luke 2, but just to confuse us, we put Luke, then John, then Acts. So we, we don't really know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he did. And this is what he writes, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will re- be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly Two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, keep your Bible open, but stop there. So let's just kind of picture what's going on, because my Bible doesn't have pictures. Yours probably doesn't either. So we're allowed to imagine a little bit. It's, It's a beautiful day in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are walking out of Jerusalem. We know they're going to be about a day's journey out of Jerusalem. And as these guys walk out of Jerusalem, they're walking out of Jerusalem as winners, right? You remember like a couple of years ago, like three years ago, they met this guy named Jesus who made some awful, unbelievable claims. He claimed he was not only the son of God, but he was God, and that if they killed him, he would... He would be buried, but in three days he would raise again. He claimed that he was God, Lord of heaven and earth. He was the most powerful force that they've ever come in contact with. And so, like three years ago, they put their faith in this man. And I'm sure along those times they thought, did we do the right thing? Did we not do the right thing? I mean, remember, they left their family, left their homes, they left their jobs to follow this guy. But on this day, as they walk out of Jerusalem... This Jesus was crucified, 
and he was buried, but guess what happened on Easter Sunday? He came out of the grave. He came out of the tomb. He is alive. He's the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he showed many convincing proofs to people that he really was alive. And so now their faith paid off. They're walking out of Jerusalem with the Lord of the universe, with the one who has more power than anything else on the face of the earth, right? And as they're walking out of Jerusalem, it gets better because this Jesus is now saying to them, hey, guys. You know what's going to happen next? You thought this was the grand finale? Oh, oh no, it's going to get even better. What happens next is the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised me from the grave, the Holy Spirit is now going to live inside of you, and you're going to be my witnesses. And this thing now that, we're, that we started here in Jerusalem is going to be big. I mean big. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I don't know what these guys were thinking, but I'm a man, and so men, you can think along with me. You know how men think. We're thinking, wow, this is going to be big. And I'm, I'm right here. I'm on the ground level. I, I'm part of this thing. This is so big. This is going to be so great. I'm going to be so important. I'm probably going to have to get business cards, maybe embossed business cards. I'm going to have to get a Facebook page. I'll probably have to go on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to be a big deal. And as they're thinking about this big thing that Jesus is doing, which, of course, we now call church, as they're thinking about how big it's going to be and how great it's going to be and how easy it's going to be, because, I mean, after all, if Jesus is walking with you and he's defeated the most powerful force on the earth, that is death, is there anything that could get in your way? So as they're thinking about all these things, what happens? Jesus leaves, right? He begins to levitate, I guess. I don't know how it worked, but it's called the ascension. He leaves earth and goes through the clouds into heaven. So one minute they're dreaming of how big and how grand and how wonderful this thing called church is going to be. And the next minute, the Bible says they're all standing there looking into the sky. There goes Jesus. And and I'd love to picture it. I mean, they're standing there looking into the sky with their heads back and their eyes to the clouds, and it's that awkward silence, and they're like, huh. Now what do we do? Now what do we do? Is that not the question that the Church of Jesus Christ is asking in the year 2022, right? Now what do we do? What do we do? Do we stand here and wait for Jesus to come back? Isn't it a good thing that God sent some messengers, these two men dressed in white, to tell the guys, hey guys, wake up, you can't stand here just looking into the sky for the rest of your life, waiting for Jesus to come back. You've got to do something. See, if I had to draw a picture, an illustration of of the church of Jesus Christ in the year 2022, that would be the picture. We'd all be standing there looking into the sky waiting for Jesus to come back, asking the question, now what do we do? You know what we've lived through in the last like two and a half, three years, right? Well, there was this thing called COVID. Remember that? (laughs) Remember that? Remember the presidential election? Remember the riots? Remember all the stuff that we've lived through in the last two and a half, three years that we never thought we would see in our lifetime? And so finally now we're kind of coming out of this little, you know, hibernation, and and we're kind of all, as as the church of Jesus Christ, standing around wondering, what are we supposed to do now? 
It's, it's kind of like the lady hanging on to the end of that rope. The choices before us don't look that good, do they? Do we hang on? Do we let go? What do we do? Now, that's the question I've been asking God. When God said, Randy, I want you to be the bishop, I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> but, you know, God's persistent. Just a little advice. If you ever think you're going to fight with God and win, forget it. Just give up right away. It's much easier, right? So I've asked God, God, okay, if, if, if you want us to be your church, what are we supposed to do? What do we do now after we've come through all this, this mess in our culture, right? Our culture, we've been through, you know, all the things, distrust and deconstruction, and we've been through COVID, and we've been through pandemics, and we've been through political upheaval, and we've been through riots, and we've been through churches dividing. What, what do we do? Well, the answer that God gave me is in verse 12, so let's keep reading. You know what happened in verse 11? They're standing there. The messengers come, and the messengers say, hey... You can't just stand here. So what do they do? Verse 12 simply says, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. They returned to Jerusalem. That's what they did. That was the answer to the question, what do we do now? You return to Jerusalem. Wait a minute. I thought we were going to be this big thing going to the ends of the earth. Yep, we will. But you got to go back to Jerusalem. Return to Jerusalem. Now, maybe you think that's a great idea because maybe you think you'd like to take a trip to the Holy Land and see Jerusalem. I guarantee you these guys were disappointed when when they had to turn around and go back into Jerusalem because you know what Jerusalem is? Jerusalem is that place of the chaos of the crucifixion. It's not a good memory for them. That place, Jerusalem, is the place of corruption. I mean, political corruption, religious corruption, the, you, know, you know, the religious leaders and the political leaders in Jerusalem were kind of all mixed together. You really couldn't tell whose side anybody was on. There was so much religious corruption that the religious leaders in Jerusalem would stand in front of their people in their, in their religious regalia, their finery, and they would take the word of God and they would twist it around to make it say whatever they wanted And they would actually abuse the people, right? Jesus said that about them. Jerusalem was that place where if you were a follower of Jesus, not only were you in the minority, but you probably had a target on your back. And we read in the New Testament where in Jerusalem, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, that they were hiding because they were afraid for their lives. Jerusalem was that place where the whole culture was divided. Have you ever thought about how divided our culture is? I remember the good old days. Remember the good old days when we were only divided like there were Republicans and Democrats and there were Protestants and Catholics. And that was like it. Wasn't that great? (laughs) Now we're divided about being divided. I mean, we are so divided. That's what Jerusalem was. There were people there divided by their economics and their ethnicity and their education and their religion and their politics. I guarantee you there was gender dysphoria in that time too. They were divided. And so when the the answer comes, okay, God, as the followers of Jesus Christ, what do we do? Go back to Jerusalem. All of God's people go, really? Back into that hot mess? Why do I got to go back into that hot mess? I just escaped Jerusalem. Because Jesus came to live for Jerusalem and die for Jerusalem and be resurrected for Jerusalem. He came to save Jerusalem. And so that's the answer, church. 
What do we do in the year 2022 and beyond as we go forward? What do we do as we see our world, our Jerusalem changing before our very eyes, as, as, as we figure out that the way we were doing church so many years is not really working now? What do we do? Every one of us as the follower of Jesus Christ has to go back to our Jerusalem. Back to our homes, back to our culture, back to our friends, back to our family, back to our neighbors, back to the people we like and back to the people we don't like, back to our work, back to our culture, back to another presidential election. Hallelujah, right? We go back to Jerusalem as the people of God, but we go back different. These men came out of Jerusalem and then went back to Jerusalem totally different. you know why? Because they met the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you that once you've had your own personal resurrection, once you've been saved, born again, you are not the same person. And we go back to our Jerusalems as, whoo, hallelujah, we go back to our Jerusalems as the resurrected Jesus, as the resurrected people of Jesus Christ. So three things, quickly, I want to share with you, I think, what God's calling us to do. As we return to our Jerusalem, our culture, we go back, number one, understanding our call to be the people of God. Now, I know that sounds pretty simplistic. Actually, everything I'm going to tell you is very simplistic, but sometimes hard. We understand we're the people of God. Listen to this quote. This is from Robert... Robert Wall's book, the consistent witness of Scripture is that God's intention is to form a people, a community, a visible body, beginning with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, remember Genesis chapter 12, and continuing throughout the entire Scripture, Paul's letters, even through the book of the Revelation, God means to have a people who will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. We need to understand in the year 2022 and beyond, we are the people of God. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible is all about people. Have you noticed how many people's names are in the Bible? A lot of names. Some names we can't pronounce, we wouldn't even try to pronounce. But isn't it amazing that God puts these people's names in the Bible and God puts these people's lives in the Bible because whether we believe it or not... Our God is pro-people. Think about that. The world says God's a hater. The world says God's followers are haters, but actually God is pro-people. He wants people to succeed. He likes people. He created people in his own image. As a matter of fact, God became a people, right? I mean, I know that's not correct grammar, but, but God became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to celebrate that here in about a month. He became like us. He became a people to live for people and die for people, to be buried for people and resurrected for people, to ascend to the Father for people, to prepare a place for people so he'll come again for people and take people to be with him in heaven. God is pro-people. We are the people of God. I mean, we teach our kids that, right? Did you guys learn this in Sunday school? Like you take your hands, you can do this, this is interactive. Take your hands and you, you lace them together. Did you do this? Go ahead and do it. It'll be a good memory thing. So here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's all the people. 
And we sing that song, the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is people. Why did we forget that? The church isn't a building, the church is people. As we go back to our Jerusalem, as we go forward as the church of Jesus Christ, we understand our call to be the people of God in our Jerusalems. Now, not just any kind of people. Remember, we've met the resurrected Jesus Christ. So now we are different kind of people. And do you want to know what kind of people I like to call us? I like to call us supernatural people. Have you thought about that? You know, the word supernatural means above nature. So the Holy Spirit of God is not from this planet. He created this planet. God is not from this planet. He created this planet, the whole universe. When we're born again by his Holy Spirit, that means we are not from this planet, right? Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. So we're not just human beings having a very short spiritual experience and then we die. We are spiritual beings having a very short human experience, and then we live forever. So we are supernatural people. You could actually turn to your neighbor and say, my, you look very supernatural today. And it would be correct. Some of you are like, man, I don't feel supernatural. Well, maybe you should eat your Wheaties for breakfast. I don't know. But, but we are the supernatural people of God, the very spirit who raised Christ from the dead who is there in the beginning to create the heavens and the earth, now lives in us. We have the Spirit of God living in us. The Bible says that's who we are. Paul says in the book of Ephesians that we were once darkness and now we're light. We were once the enemies of God. Now we're the children of God. We're filled to the fullness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that among us, these supernatural people, is where God chooses to live. So we need to understand this. We go forward into our Jerusalems that, that we are the people of God, the supernatural people of God. Now, why that gives me hope is that I'm reminded that if we are not from this planet, there is nothing on this planet that can stop the people of God. Somebody should say amen. Let me say it again, and then you can all say amen. There is nothing on this planet that can stop the people of God. Amen. It doesn't matter who's elected president. It doesn't matter the price of gasoline. It doesn't matter which pandemic comes next. It doesn't matter what crazy rules Congress passes. It doesn't matter how confused we get in our culture about, about family and, and sexual identity. There's nothing on this planet that can stop the people of God. We are his people. And as the people of God, we return to our Jerusalems filled with the spirit of God, the supernatural people of God. Now, we have, a, we have a job. So the second thing that we need to understand is returning to our Jerusalem as the people of God means, secondly, we continue the gospel of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Jesus said to these guys in verse 8 before he was ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be whose witnesses? My witnesses, Jesus says. When you go back to your Jerusalem, I want you to tell everybody all about who you are? No. What you think is right? No. What your opinions are? No. When you go back to Jerusalem, I want you to tell them about me. You will be my witnesses. 
As the people of God, we are those who continue the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that word gospel is a churchy word, and it's a big thing because actually the gospel involves all of this. So the gospel is God's plan of redemption, which starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We have the first giving of the gospel all the way to the book of Revelation where we see that, that God wins and those who follow God are with him. That's the gospel. Now, we don't really have that much time to tell our neighbors, like, hey, do you got like 45 hours? Let's sit down and I'll start in Genesis. So Jesus did us a favor. Jesus boiled the gospel down into a couple of sentences. You, you know them. Jesus says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We call it good news. Think about that. What if it was bad news? What if the news was this? Hey, um, let's say your neighbor's name is Joe. Hey, Joe, I got some news for you from God. What is it? Uh, He doesn't like you. There's nothing you can do to make him like you. Um, You don't have a snowball's chance. So you might as well eat, drink, and be merry because that's it. That's bad news, isn't it? Kind of sounds like what you read in the paper this morning, didn't it? Sounds like what you read on CNN or Fox News. That's the world's news. There's a God who hates us. There's a God, if there is a God, that he's always just waiting to catch us up and destroy us. But the good news is opposite. The good news is we have this God who is pro-people. We have this God who is a calm-down kind of God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, if we went around the room today and I asked you to tell me about how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, your salvation experience, they would all be different. But there's one thing in common. You didn't go looking for God. He came looking for you. Our God is the initiator. He created the heavens and the earth because he wanted to. He created us because he wanted to. He created you because he wanted to. He sent the gospel into your life somehow, some way, because he wanted you. We have a come down God. A God who comes down still to this day to the very recesses of the earth to find people and to invite them to be part of his family. Think about that for a second. I think about that a lot. I think about this God who, who is willing to come down to southern York County, come down to this gravel road called Burns Road that nobody knew where it and come down that road to this old farmhouse with a single mom raising five kids. He was willing not only to come into that house, but come up on the top bunk where this little kid Lay that nobody in the world even knew his name, even cared about him. His own dad didn't care about him because he ran off. But this God came all that way to my road and my house and my bed and my life and said, Hey, Randy, I love you. And I'm for you. And I would like to exchange your sin for my forgiveness. You think that's good news? Well, hallelujah, that's good news, right? That's the gospel. 
We, we return to our Jerusalem as the people of God who share the good news, the gospel. That is such an important part of who we are that, you know, a hundred years ago when we became the evangelical congregational church, we put that in our name. That's what evangelical means. I know it's a long name and it's hard to spell, but it means people of good news. We share the gospel. We believe that God is pro-people. And that God sent Jesus, and the only way to be saved is to put your faith in this Jesus who's willing to come where you are and invite you into his kingdom. Now, this gospel has been repeated since the day of Pentecost. So I want to share something with you. If you have your Bible open to Acts chapter 1, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. So here's what happens. Acts chapter 1, they go back to their Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, you know that. The Spirit comes down, and and there's some amazing things happening. And so people don't really know what's happening. And and Peter stands up to preach preach in Acts chapter 2. And he preaches this wonderful sermon, which, by the way, is nothing new. It's just repeating the gospel. But I want you to show you how powerful this gospel is. In Acts chapter 2, if you go around about... Uh, verse 36. This is, this is probably the most hopeful part of any pastor's sermon. You know the most hopeful part of any pastor's sermon. It's when he says, in conclusion. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, yes, put my shoes on. We're going to get done. We're going to get out of here. Well, I'm not saying in conclusion, but Peter is. So verse 36, Peter says, therefore, or in conclusion, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I think the most amazing thing that happened on the day of Pentecost is? It wasn't that the Holy Spirit came down. It wasn't that they were speaking in different languages or hearing different languages. I think the most amazing thing that happened on the day of Pentecost was an ordinary guy named Peter. He stood up in front of this crowd of thousands. And he just used his voice, right? He just used the words that he learned from his mom and dad. And what did he use his voice to do? Just to repeat the gospel. All he did, if you read his sermon, he just rehearses what the Bible says about this God who loves the world and sent his son, and this son is Lord in Christ. And just by this ordinary man using ordinary words, repeating the gospel, something amazing happened. This gospel had the power to get into that crowd, into the heart of hearts of those people listening and cause them to ask the question, what should I do? That's the power of the gospel. It captivates people's lives. It meets them where they are. And it challenges them to ask the question, what should I do? None of our opinions has the power to do that. We as the people of God don't talk about ourselves. We don't promote our own ideas We share the gospel because it has power to change people's lives. I came across an article uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald. Now, I don't get the Sydney Morning Herald because I'm not from Australia, but 
you know, preachers have ways of finding stuff. This is pretty recent, August 5th, 2022. And it's an article about there's a new archbishop, a new archbishop in Sydney. And the reason why they wrote about it is because how unique this archbishop is. So listen to this. The new archbishop's name is um, Kanishka Raphael. And it says, Kanishka Raphael's election as the Archbishop of Sydney broke the mold. All of his predecessors were of European descent, but he is from Sri Lanka. Many of those who came before him were the sons of Sydney's Anglican dynasties. They attended its own schools. But he moved to Australia as a boy and went to Carlingtonford High School. But the most unusual thing about Raphael in the annals of Christian archbishops is that for the first 21 years of his life, he was a Buddhist. He meditated Buddhist meditations. He chanted Buddhist prayers. He went to the Buddhist temple. He, he watched his mother, also a Buddhist, who was widowed young, he watched her perform acts of charity for for her husband, who was a Buddhist, to try to accrue merit for her husband. But all that changed one hot, sleepless summer night when he picked up a gospel given to him by a friend. By dawn, he was a Christian. In a sense, it was unavoidable, he says. I couldn't do anything else. I don't know if we understand, church, how much power we have as the people of God who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God gives you opportunity to speak, speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has the power to cause people, men and women, boys and girls, to ask the question, what should I do? Now, I know not everyone, but the ones that God wants to respond I know not everyone responds the way that we're going we're to read about in the Bible. But if we don't tell them, they'll never know. So what do we do as we go forward into our new, our new Jerusalem, our, our, our new world in 2022 and beyond? Well, we understand we're the people of God who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we do that, the third thing, in the context of a community. Now, it's, it's no accident. Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 and thousands of people repent. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, we're probably around 5,000, at least according to the scriptures, we're around 5,000 people now in this new thing called church. And by the time we get to there, they're starting to join together on on corners and in houses, in in groups that we now call churches. There's, There's this community. And that's always been part of God's plan. The people of God who share the gospel of God live in a community. So turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 32 to 36. This is just one description of of this community. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Think about that. 
It's not an accident that all of these people that responded to the gospel now start to think, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus. Oh, she's a follower of Jesus. You know what? We should get together. We should follow Jesus together. And they began forming these communities, which we now call church. Now, it would follow, right, if we are the supernatural people of God, empowered by the supernatural Holy Spirit, then the communities that we form would be supernatural, right? You could actually put on your church sign, right, Palmyra EC Church, a supernatural community, and it would be true. Because we don't live as the church of Jesus Christ in the same way our world lives, right? The culture of Jesus is different than the culture of any other culture on our planet. There's things that we do starkly different. As a matter of fact, that's what gets us in trouble. (laughs) We're just different. And one of the things that's different is this idea of a supernatural unity because it says in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. This is what amazes me about church. I grew up in church. I always joked that I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My mom drugged me to church all the time. Yeah, you know the whole thing, right? We went Sunday morning, Sunday night to youth group, then to church on Sunday night, then again in the middle of the week, then we had two weeks of revival meetings, then we had two weeks of Bible school. It was like, every time the church was open, I was drugged there. But think about that idea of church. This, this supernatural unity, the thing that amazes me about church is, just, just here this morning, we're all different. You know, we, we might be Republicans and Democrats, we have different sports teams, we have different ideas about how to raise families, we have different ideas about everything in the sun, and yet somehow we can come together on a Sunday morning, and I heard you, like I was watching you this morning when I came in, you actually like each other. <laughs> Don't deny it, I know you do. You like each other. The pastor couldn't even get you to sit down when you were standing up shaking hands. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God, right? It's a supernatural unity. We're one heart, one mind. That can't be created just with humanness. That has to be the Spirit of God in us. And as a supernatural community, we live before our outside community in ways that are different. And, and look at these ways. I just kind of sketched out a few ways. Verse 32, here's a picture of a community, a local church with open hands. Do you notice what it says? It says that they sold their possessions, that they didn't consider anything they had their own. They shared what they had. You know Christians are the most generous people on the planet. You know that. If you've been in church any period of time, you know that. We, we are open-handed people. I mean, what, what other organization, every time they get together, takes an offering? <laughs> Who else does that? I mean, we do that. We, we are open-handed people, so we give. Not only to those inside our church community, but those outside of our church community. I'm telling you, if the church in the United States would disappear, think of all the community organizations that would go bust. That's us. We're open-handed people. Not only open hands, but we have open eyes. Or let's go back a little bit. Open voices. Verse 33 says that they continue to share the resurrection story. So not only do we have open hands, but our voices are always sharing the gospel. We're always sharing about this resurrection experience we had with Jesus Christ. We're not using our voices to tell you who to vote for. 
Write that down. (laughs) We're not using our voices on Facebook to tell you how bad you are. We're not haters. We're not to be preaching against things. We're to be talking about the gospel. We use our voices to say, hey, there's this God who's a come-down God and wants to give you your own personal resurrection, right? And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, Randy, I can't. I'm not an evangelist. I don't have that gift. And I say, hooey. Yes, you do. You can talk about all those things that are important to you. If you have grandkids and I start talking to you about your grandkids, I won't even get away, right? I can't even have lunch because you'll be talking too much. Could you not say to the people you work with simply like, hey, here's what my life looked like before I met Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's what my life looks like since I met Jesus. You might not have to memorize any Bible verses to say that. You're just sharing your resurrection experience. That's what we do. We have open hands and we have open voices. We have open eyes. Verse 34 says, there were no needy persons among them. Now that astounds me because like I said, according to my Bible and my counting, we're we're up to about 5,000 people and there are no needy persons among them. Why? Because they had open eyes. God's people are always looking out for each other. We understand we are our brother's keeper. That, that we're supposed to consider others better than ourselves. That wonderful verse in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 5, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Here's what I've discovered in, in my uh, 56 years of being in church. Churches, local churches, are really great at loving the unlovable. Now, I don't want you to tell me who they are, but I guarantee you, your church has some unlovable people. I mean, I was one of them in my church. I was that little brat that everybody knew my name in my church growing up because I'm always getting in trouble by everybody. But the church wasn't like, kick that kid out of here. He's making too much noise. They love me. I've watched churches, I've pastored churches where we have people that are just downright hard to love, but we do it anyway. I mean, they don't make life easier. They make life more complicated, but we invite them and we involve them anyway. Why? Because that's what God calls us to do. We have open eyes. We're looking out for those people. And then finally, this church with open hands, open voices, open eyes, this is a church of open hearts. Verse 35 is interesting because it says these guys sold their houses and lands from time to time and they brought the money and they put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want to just get a little bit deeper on this for a second because I'm, I'm really convinced the church needs to learn this lesson going forward. I don't know what you think your house is worth. I'm sure it's worth more now this year than it was last year, but would you sell your house and bring the money and put it at the put it at the feet of the church leaders. You, you understand that in this day and age, these guys did not have 401B. They didn't have retirement plans. They didn't, they didn't have a safety net. That owning houses and lands was their security. So I think what we're looking at here is not just a money thing. We're looking at people who said, you know where my security is going to be now? In the church. 
I, I, my security is not going to be on what I can amass and what I can provide for myself. My security is going to be in my church. Now, let me just take that one step further. In order to give our money, we have to give our heart, right? My grandfather said, if God owns your heart, he owns your pocketbook. <laughs> he always called his wallet his pocketbook, and I thought that was weird. But anyway, if God owns your heart, he owns your money. And our security doesn't come from our money. It comes from God and his church. So when I say that the, that a church, the supernatural church is a church of open hearts, I'm saying that there are people in church who say, you know what? I'm going to be committed to this local group of Christians called my church. Imagine that. I believe that Jesus called me and my family here to Palmyra EC Church. And I believe that God's going to use this church to minister to this community. And so I am going to be all in. Now, I'm not saying you've got to sell your house and lands and bring the money. But I'm saying that we have to be all in, folks. You know, one of the most exciting things that happens, at least for me as a pastor and even as a member, I remember when Carla and I became members of, of the EC Church, we stood in front of our friends and family in that local church and we said, we believe God called us here and we're here and you can count on us. We're going to give our time, we're going to give our talent, we're going to give our treasure. We're here because God called us here to work along with you and we're not leaving if we don't like something. If you change the color of the carpet, we're not leaving. If some of you wear masks and others don't wear masks, we're not leaving. If I don't like the drums or I don't like the organ, we're not leaving. If the pastor's sermon is way too long, we're not leaving. We're not leaving until Jesus says we leave. We're committed. How many of you think that that's what needs to happen in the church today, right? That God calls people to say, we're committed to one another. We need one another. We're not always going to agree with one another. We might not always like one another. But, but what God is doing in us is bigger than that. And so when the pastor says, hey, I got empty spots, and we're having a congregational meeting, and I need people to step up and help lead this church into the future, there should be a line. There should be a line of people that say, can I help? How can I help? That's what we find in the church. Now, I'm not a prophet, and I don't know if I have any prophetic gifts, but I, I think I'm true on this. Church, the way forward for us is not going to get easier. And we are going to need each other more in the next 10, 15 years than we've ever needed each other before. Don't you think? We are definitely in the minority. We are definitely now living in Babylon as exiles. We, if we don't hang together, Ben Franklin said, they'll certainly hang us separately, right? We need each other. So imagine now, imagine a community, a supernatural community that has open hands. They're sharing with one another. They have open voices. They're always talking about Jesus and what, and what he can do for you. They have open eyes. They're, they're on the lookout to help one another. And they have open hearts. These people are together. Listen to this. It's the biblical assumption that when the Christian community embraces this alternative way of life, it will so tantalize the wider community that they will seek after God. 
Could it be that the reason why our churches are not full is that the world out there is not seeing too much different in us than they see where they work and where they live? Could it be that if we begin to live as this supernatural community of Jesus Christ, that there would be something they see in us that they would say, I would certainly love to be a part of that. So let's go back to this poor woman. How, how high you think she is now? <laughs> Remember, there's, there's this balloon and there's a basket, there's a boy and there's this brave woman hanging on to the rope. Well, by now, she's got to be pretty high because I've been talking a long time. Nobody said amen. I thought there would at least be an amen there. <laughs> so what's she going to do? What's the choices this woman has? I mean, she could let go of the rope. That's first choice. Let go of the rope, abandon the mission to save this life, and probably destroy her own life in the process. And you know, there are individual Christians doing that today. It's called deconstruction. We're just letting go of the faith. There are actually churches doing that. There are actually denominations doing that. I just read an article this week. There are whole denominations, leadership of denominations, letting go of the rope, letting go of the scriptures, letting go of the truth, thinking somehow that's going to that's help. Well, that's a terrible option. Don't vote for that option. Well, option two is she could just keep hanging on to the rope. Just kind of white knuckle it. Let's just hang on and we're going to hope against hope that this, somehow this balloon is going to take us somewhere safe. Now, those of you who have lived on this planet more than a year, when does the winds of our culture ever take us anywhere safe? I mean, think about things like World War I. Well, that wasn't enough. We had World War II. I mean, we never, we never see this culture taking us anywhere safe. But, you know, that's the choice some Christians make. We're just, I'm just hanging on. I'm just going to hang on to this thing that I know is not going right. I'm just going to hang on and hope against hope that somehow it all turns out. And there are churches that are doing that. They're just hanging on. They, they don't know what else to do. There are Christians who are doing that. They don't know what else to do. We're just going to hang on to things the way they were. We're not going to make any changes. We're just going to hang on and hope against hope that somehow this is going to get us in the right spot. That's not a very good option. By now, you should be pretty upset at me thinking, okay, Randy, well, if you can't let go and you can't hang on, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, some of you are way ahead of me. How about this? How about if this brave woman climbs up the rope and climbs into the basket with that poor lost soul and decides to trust the God of the universe to save them both? You know what that is? That's returning to Jerusalem. That's saying, I am going to leave church this morning and walk right back into this hot mess called my world. I'm going to go back into it, but I'm going to go back into it different. I'm going to go back into it knowing I am part of the people of God who share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the context of this supernatural community. Doesn't that sound easy? <laughs> well, when did God ever call us to easy? Never. You know what excites me about where we are in the world and the church of Jesus Christ? What excites me is it's getting harder. And what I see from history is the church always shines the brightest 
when they're placed in the most difficult situations. Maybe we just had it easy, too easy for 40, 50, or 60 years. But we have an opportunity, church, to be different, to be the people of God. And I am super excited about what God is going to do in and through us as the Evangelical Congregational Church in the next 10 or 15 years because his plan has never changed. God's plan is, I'm going to form a people who share the good news and live in a community. We have everything we need to be the people of God in our world today. Amen? Let me pray with you. So, Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for telling us what to do. And uh, it's easy to hear, harder to do. I pray for my brothers and sisters um, as after this service, you know, we got to go back to Jerusalem. There's a lot of stuff waiting for us in our homes and and where we work and in our schools and in, in our culture that just, yeah, we just would rather not deal with it. But help us to go back as your people. Give us opportunities to share the good news about who you are, this this come down God who, who is definitely pro-people. Father, I pray that our communities, our local churches, that this local church would live in such a way that we would be attractive to those that we come in contact with, that by our very living and by our relationships, we would show this world something completely different. We trust you, Father, with our souls, our salvation. We trust you with our church. We trust you with our lives, and we give them to you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bishop Randy. A um, lot to think about, and I'll look forward to a line outside my door on Monday morning. <laughs> let's, let's stand now and sing our, our final hymn, hymn number 483.
so as you leave here today, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May you go with a joy in serving Jesus as you leave with open eyes, open hands, open mouths, and open hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.